Jesus Christ, Grace Church. God is making us into a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel and making disciples and sacrificially serving Jesus. We love the truth. We want to live it. I want to welcome all who are new to Grace. I'd love to meet you. We have a gift for you at the Welcome Center on the Plaza. And I want to give a warm welcome to those who are joining us online. Glad you're with us. And today we have a treat my friend Fali Ravwangi from Madagascar, uh, one of our missionaries, is preaching the word today. He's here with one of his colleagues, uh, Avocha, and he is, they are part of uh, Madagascar 3M. And the interesting thing is, now they train pastors in three roles that lie at the heart of their calling with three words that start with M in Malagasy. So in English, they're preacher, shepherd, and servants, and they are serving in that way, and it's so good to have you with us today. But if you would all please stand with me for our call to worship. Hear the words of Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. And Lord, thank you for your presence with us today and always. Thank you for your kindness in allowing us to gather and your goodness in granting us to worship you today. Uh, there's greater joy in worshiping you than anything this world has to offer. And we pray that you would be glorified in us, in our gathering, as you work in and among us for your glory and our good, all because of who Jesus is and what he does. Amen. Let's sing together this morning. Lord, you're calling me to come and behold the wondrous cross to explore the depths of grace. Came to me at such a cost where your boundless love conquered my boundless sin and mercy's arms were open wide. It's filled with a thousand songs Proclaiming the glories of Calvary With every breath, Lord, how I long To sing of Jesus who died for me Lord, take me deeper With the glory of Calvary Your saints below, that 
find, please find Ecclesiastes chapter 9 in your Bibles and remain standing in honor of God and His inspired, inerrant, infallible Word. We'll be reading Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verses 1 to 10. This is God's Word. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As is the good, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, and that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of men are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten." Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they will have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread in joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white, let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in this life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. And please be seated. We want to pray now, remembering the goodness of God and his work in and through us. Almighty God, you are, you are great. You are greatly to be praised. You are good. You are glorious. You are gracious. You are merciful. You are magnificent. Your kindness, your compassion, your, your faithful forgiveness, your greatness is unsearchable. Your glory all, all over your works. We acknowledge today Jesus Christ, the head of his church, and our highest allegiance is to you, Lord. Your word, our ultimate authority in every aspect of our lives and this church. Lord, we praise you that we can confess our sins to you. We admit, Lord, that we have neglected your word. We have 
stumbled badly. We have high-handedly disobeyed. We have even trampled on your grace. That we have sinned against you and that we need forgiveness and cleansing by the blood of Christ. We ask your forgiveness in the name of Christ. That by your mercy you would alleviate the misery our sin has brought upon us and others. That we would be confident of your sufficiency and your goodwill toward us in Christ. And thank you, Lord, that we have in Christ assurance of pardon. That if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Lord, you have done so much to answer our prayers. We, we aren't beggars. We are recipients of mercy and your love. And Lord, I pray that you would mark us by our joy in Christ, that we would be patient as you work and that we would be strengthened with your power that you would help us to hear the word, to obey the word, to understand it, to be changed uh, by your spirit, and, and knowing that all of this is your work, and that everything we do is dependent upon you and your grace and your mercy and your action. Lord, we pray that you would act and answer for the sake of your name, that you would bring hope and healing and help, that you would remind us we are in but not of this world. Bring comfort to those that mourn. I pray that you comfort Norm and Mary Lou Dockler in the passing of their son, Tommy. Lord, help those that are unemployed. Help those that are longing to have children. Lord, strengthen those in authority over us, in our city, in our nation. We pray for our schools. We pray, Lord, that you would intervene in situations of unrest in our in our hearts and in our homes and in every hemisphere. We pray for those committed to preach the gospel. Pray for Folly. We pray for Avucha. We pray for 3M Madagascar as they are identifying and equipping the next generation of Malagasy pastors and through biblical training and through expository preaching. Bless them, Lord. We pray for Eric and Debbie Smith and pray that for them as the focus on church planting and pastor training is going on in Mongolia. We pray for Grace Rancho. We pray for Eric and Michael and the other leaders. We pray for their building project with the obstacles they're facing. We pray for their for wisdom going forward. Pray for their excitement in adding new staff. We pray for Grace Fellowship Cherry Valley. Thank you for Brian Zuniga and pray that you would cause him and the team there to flourish in that community as a bright gospel light. And Lord, we pray for Grace Church here that we would live holy lives empowered by your spirit, that we would deny ungodliness and worldly lust because sin no longer has dominion over us, that we would walk in newness of life by your grace, that we would not forsake the assembly, that we would not neglect to pray for each other, that we would submit to one another in fear of Christ, that we would rejoice with those rejoicing, we would weep with those weeping, we would have tenderness and sympathy and bearing burdens, that we would deal biblically with conflicts, that we would seek others' welfare over our own, that we would contribute cheerfully to the support of this ministry and use every resource and gift you've given for you to be honored, that you would be exalted, that you would be glorified in and through your bride and through the preaching of your word here to the ends of the earth. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
forgiveness in him, that he paid it all so that we can walk as those who are free, no longer slaves to sin, but now those who belong to the king, those who belong to him. Lord, not because uh, it was just put aside, but because it was paid for, because Christ paid every sin. Lord, you're in your omniscience, you know each and every one. You knew the exact price of our sin and laid it upon Christ and accomplished our part. And we thank you. We thank you for this entrance that we have before your throne. We pray that you would be glorified here this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. It is a joy to be here with you this morning and uh, bringing the greetings from uh, Madagascar, all the way from Madagascar, where there are real people with real problems. Anyway, <laughs> I want to start this morning by first thanking Pastor Mike and the elders for the opportunity that he's given me to bring you the word, but also to make you speak in tongues this morning, at least one tongue, and that is Malagasy. Could you repeat after me, Manaona? That's easy enough, right? And don't worry, I didn't make you say nonsense. It means, hello, how are you, in our language, so at least you know how to greet someone from Madagascar. And without further ado, I would like to turn our attention to the Word of God, and as has been read to us, we will be today in Ecclesiastes, but we will get there by the way of 1 Peter. So please open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 1. 
1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8. And there in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ and speaking of those who have a relationship with Him, this is what Peter says. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. This verse is telling us of a reality that ought to be true of everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says there that those who love Jesus Christ love Him and express that love through their faith and express their love and faith through joy inexpressible, exuberant joy. But is that true of you, brother and sister, this morning? Is it true of you if you're a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is your life characterized by joy? Do you enjoy life? Do you enjoy life daily? Do you enjoy life fully? Do you enjoy life truly? Do you enjoy life continually, unreservedly? Do you have contentment and joy truly in Him? It is quite puzzling to think about the fact that the Bible has to mandate us to be happy. The Bible has to command us to rejoice. Rejoicing ought to be something easy to do. But it seems it's not. And so the Bible reminds us that our lives as believers should be marked by joy. And with that said, we are heading to one of the passages that help us have the right perspective on life so that we would enjoy the life that God has given us, and that is in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so go with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. As uh, In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, the preacher here, Solomon, opens his sermon. The book of Ecclesiastes is a sermon. And as any good sermon, as it starts, he introduces his subject by telling us what is it that he is going to develop in the rest of his sermon. And so there, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, in verse 1 to 3, it reads, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What advantage does man have in all his labor in which he labors under the sun? Say, saying it differently, what's the point? What's the point of life under the sun? And can life under the sun be enjoyable and enjoyed is it just about toiling and working? Is it about being born and learning how to walk and going to school and going to work and retiring and dying? What's the point of life? And at the end of the sermon, he concludes. And let's go see his conclusion in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, in the last two verses of this book. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and in verse 13 and 14, at the end of his sermon, he gives the following conclusion. The end of the matter, all that has been heard, fear God and, his, and keep his commandments. Because this is the end of the matter for all mankind. 
For God will bring every work to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Solomon, through the course of his life, had been given knowledge and discernment and unrestricted power and inexhaustible wealth. And having lived it all and having seen it all, having more than all of us combined can ever dream of having, he came to the understanding of the single truth that we all need to understand, which is this. Life under the sun is meaningless and joyless without a relationship with the God who is above the sun and who created the sun. Life under the sun is meaningless and joyless if it is disconnected, if there's no relationship with the God who is above the sun and who made the sun. And here in verse 13 of Ecclesiastes uh, 12, he gives us the key to enjoyment of life under the sun. He tells us, that the key to enjoyment of life under the sun is to fear God. The fear of God is the key to joy, to true joy under the sun. And with that said, let's go to our text. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, which was read to us, as, to, as we see there one of the passages where Solomon develops that thought, develops uh, what he has learned, what he has observed throughout his life with all the mistakes that he has made as well that led him to come to that conclusion that the fear of the Lord is the key to joy. And so here we're going in our text to see three undeniable facts, three undeniable realities about life under the sun that we ought to understand and accept. And those three realities will give us two perspectives, two perspectives on life under the sun in light of those realities that we're going to see. And we see those, those three undeniable realities start in verse 1 with the first reality there that you see, and it is this. It is undeniable that we are not in control. We are not in control. Read with me again in verse 1 as he says there, for I have given all this to my heart, meaning I have intently thought and observed and looked at how life goes and explained that, explained that righteous men, wise men and their service are in the hand of God. He goes on to explain and to say that man is limited. Man doesn't know what is going to happen. He doesn't know anything that is before him. We are not in control of events future. We can plan, but the Lord decides. We can try to put some kind of controls and bar barriers in our life, and we can try to stir our life into a certain direction, but ultimately, the Lord is in heaven, and He does whatever He pleases. God is in control. But pay attention there to what He said in verse 1, and He tells us that God is particularly caring for the life of those who fear Him. Look there, it says that righteous men, wise men in their service are in the hands of God. It doesn't mean that those who hate, those who 
uh, despise God are not under his control as well. But it means that this good, benevolent God particularly cares and looks after the life of those who fear him. And so he's telling us that we are not in control. We do not know what tomorrow holds. But that is a good place to be if you are in the hands of the God who knows. Because anything, anything that will happen in your life will not take place if it didn't go first through the hand of your gracious God. Do you understand that, Christian? That nothing happens in your life randomly. Nothing happens in your life haphazardly. Nothing is an accident. Everything has been ordained by your good, omnipotent, omniscient God, gracious God, and serves His purposes. There's no surprises for Him, and He ordains and orchestrates all things according to His plan. He is in control. And yet, boy, do we try as human beings to take control. We are trying hard to be in control of our own lives. We are, in a sense, all, in some ways, control freaks. Men are. And women, sometimes even more. I can say that my wife's not here. We love control, don't we? Sometimes we do love surprises, but sometimes we do not like surprises. We would love for our life to be kind of like set and going exactly the way we want it. And we do not want to relinquish control. And yet, here, the text is here to remind us that it is a good place to be, not to be in control, but to let the God of the universe control our own lives and direct our lives as He pleases. That's the first reality. There's a second reality that he tells us in verse 2 and 3. In verse 2 and 3, he wants us to think about this undeniable fact about life. And it is this. We are all going to die. And I don't, I'm not saying that to be doom and gloom this morning. I'm saying that so that we would have a sober realization of that reality. Yes, life is unpredictable, but death is an absolute certainty. Death awaits us all. Every individual here and not here will one day experience death. It is the universal condition that is faced by every human being. And the list that Solomon, the contrasting examples that Solomon gives us here in verse 2 is there to remind us that it doesn't matter what we do, it doesn't matter our character, experience, or origin, or practice, we will all die. Look there with me in verse 2, he tells us that the righteous and the unrighteous, the wicked and the good, the clean and the unclean, the man who offers sacrifice and the man who does not offer sacrifice, the good man and the sinner, the swearer and the one who does not swear, regardless of what you do, regardless of you being a religious churchgoer or being an atheist, you will die. The Bible reminds us again of that reality in Hebrews chapter 9 
verse 27 when it tells us that inasmuch it is appointed for man to die once. Except for the case of Lazarus. He had to do it twice. But anyway. And after that comes judgment. We share a common destiny on this earth, under the sun, and it is that we all go to the grave. But there's a difference. There is a difference because we do not all share a common eternity. For the eternity, for after this life under the sun, we will go to one of two destinations. Either we would go in heaven in the presence of God, or we will go in hell separated from God forever. And thus, in light of that reality, in light of the fact that we will all die, it is not time for us to just kind of like, oh, well, what am I going to do? I'm going to die anyway. No, our, what we do with our life under the sun matters because of that reality, because what we do today will shape where we spend eternity. And so here, what Solomon is trying to give us is a sense of urgency, a sense of realization that we must avoid distractions, we must focus on what is important and use the remainder of our life under the sun wisely. We ought to remind ourselves of this reality that Solomon kept on reminding himself as well, even as he concludes his book, as we saw that we are all going to die and face judgment. And we ought to live our life in light of that reality. We ought to live our life in light of the reality that we are not in control, He is. And we ought to live our life in light of the reality that one day we will die and face Him. Are we ready? And are we living our life accordingly? But there's a third reality. Look with me there still in verse 3. At the third reality that he affirms here, not only does he say that we are not in control, not only does he tell us that we're all going to die, but he's telling us as well that we're all bad. We're all bad. Look with me in verse 3. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and madness is in their hearts throughout their life. I mean, that's bad. He tells us that evil is corrupting the heart of man. He's saying that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. That heart goes from madness to meanness. And I mean, we can't you know, ignore this. This is a reality in the world we live in. It seems that things are going worse and worse, doesn't it? It seems that human beings are not exhausting ways of being just mean. If you look at the news, if you look around, you know that reality. But I'm asking you not to look around. I'm asking you to look within. If you think about what you think, and if we knew what you thought, we would be scared. Because we can be so mean within. We could keep a nice smile outside and, hey, brother, nice seeing you. But inside we're thinking, oh, boy, you don't even know what I want to do to you right now. Because our hearts are mean. Our hearts are bad. 
Jeremiah 17, 9 reminds us again of that reality by telling us that this heart, this human heart, is sick. And it is beyond cure. But again, in the Lord, that's not all bad news. Because in the Lord, we can be given a new heart. He could completely transform our lives by changing this heart of stone, this rebellious heart, and changing it with a heart that is submitted to Him. In Him, the three undeniable facts can be transformed. In Him, we can relinquish control and let Him be in control of our lives. In Him, we can not fear death knowing that we have life. And in Him, we can have a new heart. So in light of these three realities, <coughs> sorry, the reality of God's sovereignty, of human depravity, and the reality of death, there is a right way to live our life in the meantime. And that is given to us by the two crucial perspectives that he wants us to have in the next verses there. And the first one of them is this, from verse 4 to 6. He gives us one crucial perspective that we must have, one crucial understanding that we must have of life under the sun. And here it is. Being alive is better than being dead. There you could say, thank you, Captain Obvious. But we sometimes live our lives as if it was not that obvious. And let's look closer as we try to understand what is it that he's trying to tell us in this passage there. Look with me again as uh, he's mentioning it there in verse uh, 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 4. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. Sorry. That word there for hope, uh, that word there for hope speaks of confidence, speaks of confidence, speaks of someone who has an absolute certitude about what is going to happen in his life. It, is, it speaks of someone who still can do something about the future. And you could see there as he develops this thought in verse 5 and verse 6, it, 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 it speaks of something definitive, something that the dead cannot do anymore. The dead are dead. They know nothing. No more reward. No more, the memory of them vanishes. Even the most famous one, after a while, we forget about them. All that they do, whether good or bad, love, hate, envy, it all perishes. Once you're dead, you're dead. And it's too late. But for those who live, there is still hope. There is still confidence that God can be at work in your life. And in order to make his point here, this point that it is better to be alive than to be dead, Solomon uses a very bold metaphor. Look with me there in verse 4, as it says there that surely a live dog is better than a dead lion. Now, if you know anything of Jewish culture, 
you would know that this is an outrageous comparison. This is an outrageous metaphor. Because back then, dogs, there was no dog spa or pet dogs or anything like that back then. Dogs were despised animals that were stray and that were on the street. And even when you wanted to insult someone, you would compare him to a dog. Nothing cute about it. And so here, Solomon is making a contrast between two extremes. Extremes between the majestic, the lion, and the lowly. A comparison that is done as well in 1 Samuel 17.43. A, a comparison between wisdom and folly. Not folly, folly. A comparison between power and weakness. And here it is saying that all the wisdom, all the power, all the majesty, all the fame means nothing if you are dead. It's saying that whether you're a dog or a lion, what matters is whether you're alive or dead. And so here, Solomon is helping us focusing on true life. And he's telling us that regardless of your life in the exterior, regardless of your pursuits here on this earth, regardless of you being successful in the eyes of the, the world, regardless of the position that you have on this earth, if you are spiritually dead, it means nothing. What matters is whether you are alive or not. Jesus Christ tells us, I am the way the truth, and the life. The life. What really matters is to be alive in Him. And He came so that we would have life and life in abundance. In Him. In Him. We can have true life. We could really enjoy life under the sun. And so, if you are here this morning, and if you haven't been reconciled, to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you haven't repented of your sins, and if you have not made Him your Savior and your Lord, it is time for you to do that, because remember the realities that we talk about, your life on this planet will come to an end, and you will face judgment. Are you ready? Do you have life? Do you have life eternal? Are you assured that you would spend eternity in His presence? Or do you fear standing before him? One of the greatest measurements of how alive you are is determined by how afraid you are of death. You know the answer for yourself. You know where you stand. And the wise person rightly understands that the opportunities and joys of this brief life only happens once. You have the opportunity now to repent. You have the opportunity now to live and to be reconciled to the living God. Do not delay. Better be a live dog than a dead lion. Please be not distracted by the pursuit of this world who wants you to be the best, who wants you to be above everyone else and to have external success. That means nothing if you're dead inside. But our God, our good God, not only gave us physical life, but He wants to give us 
spiritual vitality. And that is found in his son, Jesus Christ. But then he points us to a second reality. Look there in verse 7 to verse 10. Yes, death is coming. But here's the second perspective that we should have on life. Life is a gift from God to be enjoyed. Life is a gift from God to be enjoyed. Yes. God has given us this life under the sun, not for us to kind of make our way through somehow and, you know, kind of reluctantly go through the different phases of life. But God has made our life such that there is a measure of joy and satisfaction that comes through even the daily simple activities of life. Look there with me in verse 7 to verse 10. He's speaking of not exceptional circumstances. He's speaking of things that we do every day. And sometimes even not even thinking about it. He says that there is joy, that there is enjoyment that can be found in doing the very simple things of everyday life. Such as eating, drinking, enjoying the relationships in your lives, and work. Yes, I know that that could be hard to imagine for some of us, but work was made to be enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, it is. And so he starts verse 7 with a command. Go. And when we see those words go, it should remind us of another place where he uses those words, right? In Matthew 28, he tells us as well to go and make disciples of all nations. And so when the Lord uses this word go, it means that he is calling for our attention. It's like a wake-up call. It is a command, but it is a command to like, hey, hey, wake up, wake up, wake up. There is no time to waste. It is to give us a sense of urgency. It is like the Lord is telling us, stop your complaining. Stop nursing your anger about your circumstances. Stop brooding about your problems. Get over your anxiety and enjoy my gifts. Enjoy the life that I have given you. Sometimes we are so busy thinking about the what-ifs of the future that we forget to enjoy today. Sometimes we are all telling ourselves, if I get... If you're single, if I get this girl or this guy, if I get married, if I get this new job, if I get this new house, if my circumstances change, if my environment change, then I will be happy. And when we do that, we forget to enjoy life to the fullest today and be content with God has, what God has given while recognizing His supremacy over all things and the fact that it is a good God that brought your circumstances to be in your life. And so He's telling us, enjoy the simple things that I have given you. Look there in verse 7, He's calling us to enjoy our food. Our meals are to be enjoyed. Turn with me to Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15, verse 17. Proverbs 15, verse 17. He tells us this. Proverbs 15, verse 17. Better is a dish of vegetables where there is love than a fattened ox and hatred in it. 
This is not an advertising for a vegetarian diet. This is a call for joyous meals. Proverbs 17, verse 1. Proverbs 17, verse 1. Better is a dry morsel and tranquility with it than a house full of feasting with strife. Do you understand what he's saying there? He's saying there that joy and love are the most important things on the menu. It could turn a menu of dry bread and leaves into a feast. That's a true miracle. <laughs> but we see that even in those simple circumstances of life, we've completely changed that. I mean, I see so many families now where family times, where meals are no longer family times. Everyone is either in a hurry and just pops in on the table and then goes, or everyone is at the table but on their phones or doing something else. And we forget these very basic principles of just enjoying that time of fellowship, commitment, unity that makes a family of friends. And so he's calling us to live daily with that realization that that day, that day is a gift from the Lord and gives you another platform to see his goodness and enjoy his grace. And so he tells us in verse 8, he tells us something in verse 8. He tells us that we should live every day as if we were going to a party. Look there in verse 8. It says, let your clothes be white all the time and let not oil be lacking on your head. White garments became the emblem of joy and festivity. They were the ways of distinguishing guests at a banquet. And so um, you were, were wearing white on special occasions and uh, guests also traveling from far they would put oil on their head and so that way in the party it was easy to identify the guests they were the ones dressed in white and with shiny heads it's very easy to 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 recognize who the guests are and so that the oil and the clothing here is representing hospitality unity blessing fellowship gladness around a meal. And so what is he telling us here? He says, leave every day as if you were going to feast that day. How many of us drag our feet to work? I'm not asking for raising hands. <laughs> but I just want you to think about it. It necess necessitates a change of perspective, doesn't it? to see things the way God sees them, that our life has been given to us to be enjoyed, including as well our relationships. And he mentions here marriage as one of these ultimate relationships. That great moment, that great moment after a long day when you come home and you open the door and you expect the smile of your wife if you didn't behave like an idiot before. <laughs> the good things of life, such as the smell of a good sizzling piece of steak or carrot if you're vegetarian. <laughs> the enjoyment of a sip of water when you're thirsty on a hot day. 
the simple things, they are made by God for us to enjoy. Because he wants us to rejoice in him. He has mandated us. He has asked us. He is commanding us to rejoice. We all know that verse. Philippians 4.4 Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. Psalm 32 verse 11 Be glad in Yahweh and rejoice, you righteous ones. And shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. In Psalm 2 verse 11 Psalm 2 verse 11 Serve Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling. As you see, that is the key to joy. The key to joy is to rejoice with trembling. Is to rejoice because of the fear of the Lord that we have. In knowing that the Lord has placed good boundaries around our lives and it is within those boundaries that we are to experience that joy. And so I asked you at the beginning, why is it that we have to be mandated? Why is it that the Lord has to command us to rejoice? Why is it so hard to be happy? Because it is very unfortunate, but I often go to churches and Christians ought to be the happiest people in the world, but instead of that, what I see is, I am currently overjoyed in the Lord. It is such a joy to be speaking on the joy of the Lord. I mean, yeah, trying hard to restrain himself maybe. But there are some reasons why sometimes we that ought to be the happiest people in the world are not. And the reason for that is that we forget who we are and what we've been given. And so one of the reasons why we have to be commanded to enjoy life is because we live in a dark world that is marked by sin, suffering, and misery. And we live among those who have no hope and have no God. And it ends up rubbing on us and we forget that we are in the world, yes, but we are not of the world. We have hope. We have a God. We have life eternal. We have joy set before us. And so we not ought to live like them in this kind of gloomy, you know, whatever happens state of mind. We ought to rejoice daily. Another reason why we lose, we don't have joy is because we easily forget Jesus Christ's words where he declared that he gave us his joy. In John chapter 15, verse 11, he gave us his joy and he exemplified for us, focusing on the joy set before him. And he endured the cross with joy in mind. We forget the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also sometimes lack joy because we're lazy. We're lazy and we do not cultivate that joy. We neglect our personal time with God. And often that neglect of personal time with God precedes a lack of joy in your life. If the Lord and His promises are the only sources of joy, how will we be joyful if we cut ourselves from that source? We cannot rejoice in Him and be slack spiritually. 
We cannot rejoice in Him as well if there is a sin in your life that you do not repent of. You cannot walk by the Spirit if you're still walking by the flesh. And so if you're indulging in the flesh, if you're living in disobedience, I'm appealing to you today to repent right now. Go back to the Lord because you will have no joy going the wrong way. We forget that joy is one of the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit. Joy marks those who have surrendered their lives to Christ and allow their hearts to be fully influenced by the Holy Spirit. Our tendency in this society is to be ungrateful and to always complain and moan. And we forget that we have so much to be thankful for. And that is another reason why, as well, we are not rejoicing. And that is because of anxiety and worry. Those things choke our life of joy. And they prevent us from seeing the good gifts that our good God has given us today because we are so worried about tomorrow. And so, brothers and sisters, I'm here to remind us that our whole life should be joyful because it is a gift from God. And God made life under the sun to be enjoyed, but to be enjoyed in the right way, to be enjoyed as we fear Him and as we obey His commands. And yes, the three undeniable facts are there. We are not in control. We are all going to die. We are all bad. It is very true. But God has mandated us to go and enjoy the life that He has given you under the sun. He has mandated us to go and enjoy our relationships, to enjoy working diligently for Him because that is the lot that He has given to all of us. Jesus Christ came under the sun so that we can be reconciled to the God who is above the sun and made the sun have a relationship with Him that is forever marked by joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful again for this time and for the reminder of the reality of who You are and what You have done in Your Son, Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful that we could have a relationship with you and that in you we can have life. That in you there is abundance of life. That in you there is joy inexhaustible and inexpressible. And Lord, I pray for those who have not yet submitted their lives to you that are trying in so many different ways to find joy and find life so disappointing. Lord, I pray that they will find you, that they will find their joy in you. And for us, Lord, that are your children, may we mark our faith. May our faith be marked by joy. May the reality of our faith, what we believe to be true about you, about the fact that you're in control of our things, that we are limited and depraved, but that you saved us, that you gave us a new heart, the reality of new life in you may be seen in the way we rejoice. We rejoice in you and in the fellowship of one another. In your son's name I pray. Amen.
We have heard the word preached very well. Thank you, Fally. Now we come to the Lord's table on this Lord's day. We have the cup with the bread and the, and the juice. We are remembering Jesus Christ and what he did at the cross in our place. In Psalm 130, verse 3, it says, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? We who are so aware of our sins need to be so aware of the Savior who bore our sins. Romans 5 tells us that being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that we have access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and so we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice because the judgment our sins deserved fell on Christ or put on him, that he took all of our sins upon himself, that he took all the wrath our sins deserved. And full payment was made and mercy could be given to us. And this is why this table only makes sense for believers. That those trusting Christ crucified, risen, and returning. This is only for believers. That's why we fence or guard the table. If the scriptures tell us if anyone eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, literally not in accord to its worth, unrepentant, they are guilty of the body and blood of Jesus. That is why you need to examine yourself and see if you are in the faith and then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. This is a serious matter. In Christ, if you are in Christ, you've been chosen before the foundation of the world and you are forgiven and you are beloved and you are accepted in Christ and you are loved, you've been regenerated, you've been called by the gospel. And even if your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart and he knows all things. We know that sin kills joy. We know that Jesus grants joy and he grants repentance that we would freely confess our sins to him and commit to live different. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, continually cleanses us from all sins. You don't need to wallow in condemnation today. You need to walk in freedom in Christ and joyfully celebrate his victory over sin and death and hell and Satan. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread and broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We know that after supper, he took the cup, the new covenant in his blood. And Hebrews 9 tells us that if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer under the old covenant sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. It tells us that just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, 
having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, Cleanse out the old leaven, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. His sacrifice of himself is the ultimate Passover, saving those under the blood, saving the unworthy. It gives us a knowledge of sin and its effects and freedom from its power and confidence to crush it, that you cast out the leaven of sin in your life and rely on the power of the Holy Spirit and obey the word of God and remember who you are in Christ. This is what this table is reminding you and I. If you're in Christ, you are to keep turning to the Lord for help in putting sin to death in your life. And Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord, we know that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim your death until you come again and our hearts cry out. Come, Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Stand with us again as we sing and went before the throne.
Including uh, at 5 p.m. today, members over age 18 had received an email on that Friday, so make sure you look for that. We have the Karis Women's Conference. Several of our ladies are speaking at on January 26 and 27. Lots of missions opportunities all the time from here to the ends of the earth. Check it out at the missions table on the plaza. Also, if you need ongoing information at Grace, you've got the Sunday card we give you, but also you can sign up for weekly Tuesday and Friday emails with the QR code. Um, keep praying for Bethany Ma and Ashley Ortlip uh, as they're serving in uh, South Africa. And I've got an update on the Go With Grace Fieldhouse project. Uh, one playground is in the process of being moved. It'll be put in a different place very soon. Uh, grading begins this week. We are moving dirt, which is a good thing right now. So exciting to see the project moving forward. Very thankful for the team uh, working on that. Midweek uh, this week, word on the Wednesdays, uh, Balancing Act, how, to love, how Love and Truth Must Mark the Church. That's at 7 p.m. So make sure that you greet Fally and um, Vucha very, very well and uh, warmly. Uh, but just know they're missing their families. They're going home tomorrow. Uh, they've been gone 11-plus days. And so uh, pray for them as they travel home tomorrow. And with our benediction, it will be Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Lord, we thank you and praise you that we could sing your praises and pray to you, hear your word, remember your death on the cross for us. And thank you, Lord, that now we go by your grace, in your strength, and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sovereign in the mountain.